Hello, Liturgy Guide listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have a season finale for you today. Yes, today is the last episode of season four, but before we start, we have three new Patreon supporters. So shout out to John Whalen, Stephanie Brannon, and Jared Cowell. Thank you so much for your support. If you want to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash liturgy. And again, like I said, today is the last episode of season four. We are going to go on hiatus like we usually do every season, and we hope to return in early August, but we may pop in now and then with a coffee talk episode or some type of updates. And I also want to just remind you, we mentioned this later in the podcast episode, but because this weekend was supposed to be our Young Adult Liturgy Conference, we had to cancel it because of the pandemic. But we do have uh, a bundle of online certificate courses available right now. There are six courses available that are uh, normally priced at $97 each. You can get all six of them for uh, $199. So that is that will be on sale. That sale doesn't end. It's just going to exist. It's the transfigured bundle. If you want to get that, you can go to www.liturgy.online and check that out. And lastly, I just want to thank you all for being such great supporters of this podcast, whether a Patreon supporter or or you just listen to every episode or you tell your friends and family about this podcast. We frequently get emails from you saying, oh, I, I, I just found out about this podcast last month and I went back and I binged all of the old episodes or I'm on my second or third time around listening to every episode. So God bless you. Thank you so much for your support. Please continue to share this podcast with everybody that you think might be interested in it. And without further ado, the season finale of season four. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Isn't that a British TV show? Yeah, The Wiggles. I think Wiggles. it was like a really hit kids show. It was, terrible. yeah. Dennis. Yo, Jesse. What's up? And hello, Chris. <laughs> Hi, Dennis. This is our spectacular season closer podcast. Podcast, 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 podcast. with Dennis, 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 Dennis and, Chris. and Chris, 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 and Jesse, 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 and Kevin. No, he's not here. Yeah. <laughs> Tied him up in the corner again. Mm-hmm. Uh, how's it going, guys? I wanted to just check in, see how you are. Oh, this is a wellness Thanks. check. A literally, oh, guys. Yeah. Wellness Thanks check. for asking, Jesse. Yeah, Chris, you've been under about fifty relatives to do a wellness check on him every single day. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But uh, and you can. Sorry if you hear the pitter patter of my little children's feet upstairs. Sorry about that. No, uh, I didn't hear it, Chris. Uh, you, you've had a lot of work to do with this whole COVID, uh, you know, getting masses updated for public health and all of that stuff. Uh, but then you, but Adoramus is going strong. So tell us a little bit about what you got going on in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, this has been a very interesting, uh, for many people, um, peculiar three months, uh, but from the liturgical standpoint, it was you know, three months ago is about how to close down masses. And then two months ago, 
one month ago is about what to do while there are no masses. And now it's how to open masses again. And we've talked about how to open public masses, but other things too. So now uh, all these, it's confirmation season. How do you do confirmations with in this kind of pandemic period? Uh, we have ordinations next week. I mean, what are some of the things that should or shouldn't take place in an ordination? You know, I, I, at one point, all the presbyters go through and they lay hands on uh, the heads of the ordinance, and then they give the they ex- later they exchange a sign of peace. I mean, all these things. I mean, should you do that? Should you not do that? Should you do it differently? And so, every single sacrament has to at least be looked at a little bit differently and see how they can be celebrated as beautifully and uh, you know fruitfully as possible, but at the same time you know, taking into account the the circumstances of the day. And so, yeah, so every sacrament, we <laughs> do that too. We have a chrism mass next week. You know, I was talking with a coworker about, you know, how do we, you know, because to distribute the oils, you know, we, they're blessed and then they're, they're taken to a place where they're put into the parish oil stocks. And, and the bishop has to breathe on the oils. Yeah, well, that's another, we're, we're going to eliminate the breathing of the, the bishop on the oil. Wow. 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 That's not essential. Huh? No, it's it's uh, it's essential anyway. essential oils. Essential oils, yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, but really, every aspect of the ordination—the chrismas, confirmation, marriage, a baptism, things like this—all RCIA—all have to be rethought. And so that's um, you know, my my good liturgical institute formation has really uh, served me well lately because everything's sort of off script. Now it's not anything goes, but you're, you have to got to think about these things in a way that uh, you know you can't look up in a book, you can't call up an expert, and you can't uh, go back and look at your notes. You got to rely on principles and uh, make the best decisions you can. So that's been that's been really busy. Do you think that these things that you're working on, these guidelines, are going to be? They're like temporary for now, but then they're going to be looked at upon should something like this happen again in the future and say, like, this is what we do. If there's a public health emergency, Mm -hmm. Um, we go into like, you know, this type of quote unquote liturgy mode or whatever. Yeah, I do think that coming out of this, you know, whether it's me or a diocese or a parish or a family or whatever, whatever it is, um, you know, you hope this is behind us and you don't need to keep your notes around for the next time this happens. But. Uh, a lot of these things were made, a lot of these decisions and these adaptations were kind of done on the fly, you know, kind of at the 11th hour and things like that without a lot of reflection. And now, after we've done some of these things, some have been more successful uh, than others. Um, now, hopefully, this experience shouldn't be left completely behind, but we should have learned some things uh, over the last couple of months. So when and if, you know, this does happen again, we'll, we can kind of get out in front of it. You know, we have some experience that we can rely on. We even have some, uh, you know, we have some some guidelines in print that we can look to. So, yeah, I, I hope it's a thing of the past, but um, if it's not, I hope we'll be better prepared next time. Do you foresee the bishops kind of coming out with some type of guidelines for a public health emergency that would be more official than just kind of figure it out, guys? Yeah, I I don't. I My own evaluation of this is, you know, I, I think the congregation in Rome and also the USCCB were pretty generally hands off. They weren't putting forward a whole lot of 
directives, either general or precise ones. And they were leaving it to the bishop uh, and to conferences, uh, or, or I'd say, um, what do you call them, um, oh, groups of bishops, um, uh, like, like our group is in the state of Wisconsin. There, there were a lot more. The it, Metropolitan is that uh, what it's called? I can't think of the word. Um, uh, region of bishops, I guess. Eh, I can't think of what it is. But a lot of the decisions were made on a local level. And I think insofar as I remember su- studying about subsidiarity and uh, Catholic uh, uh, social teaching, I think it's a good thing. I mean, there, there should be direction from on top. But I think on the whole, you know, the bishop of the Diocese of La Crosse is going to face different issues than uh, in in many ways, than the bishop in uh, uh, New York City, the archbishop, or even the archbishop in Milwaukee, because you know we have different areas, we have different needs, we, and you know there is no sort of one size fits all. So it's forced uh, you know bishops and I suppose to a lesser degree pastors to to apply these things in a uh, kind of in the in the uh, specific uh, situation. And what is what has been your approach with Adoramus? Um It seems like you guys have been putting a lot of content out about all of this. Like as you're learning, you're kind of trying to put that into writing, literally. Yeah. Um, and I I hope that people are kind of learning from that as well. But you're right; it's it's regional. Um, it mm-hmm. depends on your geography, what country has it the most, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what's what I thought is interesting, and this is of course just anecdotal. But as you guys have looked at uh, Catholic website news and stuff uh, uh, over the last three months, I, I would say sixty, maybe seventy percent of Catholic stories had to do with what liturgy and sacraments. Yep, I mean. I, not none of these things aren't important, but you know, not so much social outreach or catechesis or you know things like that. the The, the greatest topics were about uh, the liturgy and uh, and and adoration. But you know, I think many of them, you know, focused on our bishops are doing too much, our bishops are doing too little, and you know, why should we be doing this? Should we be doing it? What we've tried to do at Adoramus is. is um, especially with our series with Monsignor Karen, to try to uh, offer to celebrants, okay, it's uh, it's 8 o'clock, and now you're going to celebrate the Mass of the Lord's Supper. What exactly are you going to do differently? So we've tried to be very practical, um, uh, offer practical help to to pastors on how, how rituals might might change. We've, you know, we, we've, you know, Jesse, we've, we've done a lot of uh, how to, how to try to pray throughout all of this for, for families, uh, uh, how, how to go back to mass. Um, you know, so we've tried to, in, in the upcoming issue of, uh, of Adoramus, what, at least what I, what I've written on is I, I think it's necessary that, that we have a kind of a post pandemic liturgical plan, because if we don't, then some of these things that have been, you know, uh, abrogated or dismissed during the pandemic time might stick around. Yeah, they could be perpetuated in the, oh, yeah, in the yeah. policies that were meant to be temporary. Yeah. So I, I think bishops, priests, pastoral councils, the faithful need to say, you know, all right. And, and you know, it's kind of like we've hit control, alt, delete with the liturgy. Which it may not be. I we're mean, getting the we're getting the blue screen of death, as they say. <laughs> and, and while that's caused a lot of suffering, it's it can also provide an occasion to say, okay, if we're going to start from scratch, how are we going to go about it this time? Let's rethink some of these things that might be better left uh, in the past, and maybe introduce some of those things in line with the missile that might 
uh, help us to celebrate better. So there's a great opportunity, but I think if people don't plan, if priests don't plan on what their liturgy is going to look like in six months, then uh, we're, we're going to be in some serious trouble. Dennis, uh, yes, I think uh, I, w- I want to hear what's going on with the Center for Beauty and Culture, but I have a uh, follow-up question in your direction. Mm-hmm. So a lot of churches have had to kind of move forward with new technology and streaming services and all these things. Yep. Do you foresee that becoming a mainstay for parishes as they go forward? Well, you know, in case this happens again, we want to install proper technology, whether it's you know TV screens or projectors or things that would help them better uh, meet the needs of virtual audiences or virtual congregation. Do you see some of those sneaking their way back in a, in a major way? And I know it's already happening now, but um, in regard to, you know, keeping that the, the church, the, you know, being able to see the heavenly Jerusalem and then having these major technology pieces outfitted. Well, having a live stream little camera in the back doesn't disrupt anybody. I, I don't know that anybody started putting in projectors and, screens because of this, right? In fact, it's kind of the opposite. We're putting in cameras to send it to somebody else's screen rather than putting in screens uh, in, a, in a church. But I do think that a lot of people who thought live streaming was too complicated realized it's not that hard. I mean, I never taught online before. And then all of a sudden they're like, you have to teach online. And I found out, hey, Zoom, pretty darn easy <laughs> to use. Now we and, just have to get you to be a better teacher. So. Yeah, true enough. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the kind of TV mass like my mom will always say, oh, I want to watch Mass on TV today, but I missed it this morning. I'm like, Mom, just go to Facebook and, you know, find a Mass. And, oh, what DVR if, it. <laughs> what if it's not right now? And she's like, I said, there's 25 options every single day for Masses all around the world. When I stumbled on the Oxford Blackfriars or the Oxford Dominicans and their, their liturgical style is just so excellent. I thought, oh, man, what if people are watching this and learning proper modeling of liturgy? So maybe it'll be good for the people who continually can't go to mass, you know, elderly people or sick people or something, and they can find out they're much closer to their parish than they were before and maybe uh, stay engaged that way. Yeah, I was thinking, too, just, you know, if we can't use, for example, hymnals because we're not allowed to touch the books or whatever, I've heard some people talking about, well, then let's get some screens, let's get some TVs, so that nobody has to touch anything. Yeah. So um, I know I know that's those conversations have been coming up as well. But uh, So uh, like I mentioned before, I, I want to hear what's going on with the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine. What's going on out there? What types of things are you working on? Well, I officially drew up my constitution for the center, Right before the COVID thing hit, met with the president and the academic dean and presented it. And I got the thumbs up that the center's plans are approved and uh, that's philosophical statements. Um, so then, uh, you know, send it off to the various people, fundraising people and um, publicity people. And then COVID hit and everybody left and <laughs> everything kind of went to sleep. But we're still here. We're going to be planning some events in the fall and in the spring and, you know, much of the center of beauty and culture is me, you know, teaching here, doing the podcast, and going out. And you are the center for the center of beauty and culture. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm the navel of the center for beauty and culture. It's like, was it Louis the Fourteenth who said "L'état c'est moi"? Or the the law. I have no idea. <laughs> I am not the right person to ask. Anyway, in English, it's the law is me, right? But but your your excellency, it's, it's the law. The law is me. I'm the king, right? So in a sense, the center of beauty and culture is at the moment is me. But we have some plans. You know, I'm going to be having uh, different events in the fall, hopefully one of which is having one of our 
faculty member who's a very talented composer in the music department, kind of do a workshop, give him a text, and he said, this is how I begin to compose. Uh, he sets a lot of beautiful uh, Latin uh, liturgical texts uh, to music, and they're quite good. It's, I've talked to him about it. It's not official, so I won't say his name yet, but he's very, very talented. I'm hoping to have some uh, fellows. I think they're going to be called Angelico Fellows for Fra Angelico, who's the great Dominican painter. Angelicos. Ange- yeah. And little angels running around. Um, and the idea is that all the arts, not just the fine arts, the visual arts, but music, drama, um, art, architecture, uh, even poetry, can, um, can come together in discussion. So we'll have kind of an integrating seminar talking about the theology of beauty and what the arts are from the Catholic point of view. And it would be something not, um, not required. It's optional. But if you are a fellow, then you have you know, parties once a week and you get to come to things. And there's a lot of different kinds of fellows here on campus. These um, are students, Dennis? These are students, yep. Yeah. So they oh, okay, yeah. when they're, when they're undergrads to be members of this and then they partake in all the rights and privileges to which uh, that accords. And depending on funding, you know, I think the development people or advancement people are going to try to find someone who is interested in funding some of these things, but maybe even to have a prize for Catholic ex- excellence in Catholic art. Now, there are prizes out there for classical art, but it's not necessarily Catholic. So to really do something that nobody is um, nobody's doing yet and to really um, put Benedictine on the map in a sense that it becomes the epicenter of determining excellence, but also to give people who are practitioners uh, some recognition. And then day to day, I'll be teaching a course on liturgical music in the fall, as well as art and architecture again. So uh, it's great, great stuff. I get to teach all these wonderful things we talk about in the podcast. That's awesome. Now, Jesse. Yeah. Are you guys going to ask me about what I'm doing? No, I think we're out of time. <laughs> should, we you, to, should we go to a liturgy question? <laughs> now that you're the keeper of all the problems of running a liturgical institute, what are you doing? Man, it has been kind of like Chris, it's been pretty crazy. I mean, there was a lot of, um, you know, I, to get acclimated in, into the position and all the things that I required of the director of the liturgical institute. I kind of like, and even kind of like you, Dennis, you know, I had a lot of stuff. I had a lot of runway, a lot of things that I was planning on doing and get, you know, getting started. And then COVID hit. And then it was just like, oh my gosh, emergency response. How do we do our graduate degree program? You know, how do we maintain some of the things that we're doing? Fortunately, uh, we've, we've been doing quite well. Uh, the online learning, as you guys will both find out in a couple of weeks, we've moved to online learning for our summer program. So we're not on campus, uh, but we should hopefully be on campus in the fall starting again. And it's probably uh, not too late to sign up for those classes, right? Chris and I will be teaching uh, starting June 29th. Yeah, if you, you want right to right? audit those classes, um, please, let, please let us know. Um, but, you know, we, we – launched that certificate program. Dennis and Chris, you were both really um, integral in doing that uh, with the number of courses that you guys have taught for us. So we actually, when COVID hit, um, I made a, a, a huge price reduction in the cost of those courses. And we went from having about 400 people online in that program that now, I would, Chris, you just asked me how many are in your free uh, liturgy course. And it's uh, like 1,700 people are in your free course. Wow. I guess the price so, is right on that one, huh? Yeah. I, and, you know, I, we, I have a, history, right? we have a – Chris. We have a fairly high, uh, you know, completion rate for those courses as well. So um, – 
you know, and then, you know, some other negative things happened. We had to cancel a number of things. This year is our 20th anniversary, so we had to cancel. Well, we're postponing that event. We're trying to figure out when to do it in the fall or maybe even creeping in the next year. Uh, But we're celebrating 20 years as as an institute, um, and we're celebrating our first year without Dennis, so that's a huge (laughs) celebration. Trying to figure out how to celebrate that. Hey, do you have some uh, <laughs> for me being cranky now that you run the liturgical institute? Oh yeah, everyone's so happy. It's so great, um, <laughs> and I can clap and whistle and make trumpet sounds all in the office, and nobody yells at me. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Um, but you still have to pick up your plant, so you better yep. come and get that water it for me. Uh, uh-huh. So uh, the other thing we had to do, we had to cancel our Young Adult Liturgy Conference. But uh, a quick note on that, actually, um, is this weekend is supposed to be the Young Adult Liturgy Conference, supposed to be this weekend. But instead of having the conference, I've created what's called a transfigured bundle. And uh, five of the classes, there are six classes in this bundle. Five of them are Dennis and Chris courses. Woo-hoo. So. This is what we've we've decided as kind of foundational content. Uh, you know, if you want to really dive into knowledge, uh, liturgical knowledge, these are foundational classes. The, the sixth course that's not Dennis or Chris is uh, James Pauley, Liturgy and Discipleship, which is a very fantastic course. So um, we're putting this on sale. You can get it now if you go to liturgy.online and you get these six courses for uh, $1.99. And it's... Uh, going to be on sale just for the you know until the end of next until next weekend but uh instead of doing the the whole virtual conference thing i really tried i really tried to figure it out but it was going to be a lot of work to get everybody on board get all these speakers and you know i figured we had all this wonderful content online that we could uh push into that mm-hmm. and then the other, the other thing too is that we are really trying to move forward with an online master's degree, a two-year a two-year master's degree that's happening during um, uh, distance education. So we would record our courses, and then you would just watch the courses, um, and then still participate with, in all the quizzes and tests and all of that type of stuff. So if you're interested in that, please let us know at the Liturgical Institute as well. Now, Jesse, uh, you have a new uh, faculty member too, right? We do. We have actually three new faculty members. Um, so I, I, while I, at this point, we can't, I can't make any formal announcements because we're still um, figuring a lot of stuff out. But there's going to be a major switch in the way the faculty works on our campus. So they're going to um, work for a change. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're getting rid of you guys. Mm-hmm. They knew I wasn't <laughs> up for that program. <laughs> um, so just you know, kind of uh, little detail into how the LI runs, but. Um, We've always had our own faculty and our own specific adjuncts that we use or visiting professors. And when needed, we would tap into some of the faculty that would teach at the seminary. So the university is making a fundamental fundamental switch in the way that it runs. Um, th- there's going to be just one pool of faculty members. And then all of the institutes, including the seminary, um, then tap into, you know, the faculty members to teach their courses. So now, now just briefly explain how the, so you have the university, then you have all these kind of sub institutes. Yes. Yes. So the university of St. Mary of the Lake is owned by the archdiocese of Chicago run by the archdiocese of Chicago. And then it has these five major components. So one, the biggest component is the seminary. That's what everybody knows. Mundelein seminary. But then you have these four other institutes. There's the liturgical institute. 
There is the Institute for Pastoral Leadership, and so they have graduate degree programs and certification courses uh, for those who work in the church. And then there is the uh, program Instituto de Liderazgo de Pastoral, which is um, sort of what that the Institute for Pastoral Leadership does, but it's all Spanish-speaking uh, education and training. And then um, they also have a deacon formation program that is all in Spanish, which is kind of a rare thing across uh they're like one of only two or three programs in the country that do deacon formation in Spanish. And then there's the deacon formation for the whole diocese in English, which is the, um, the Institute uh, for Diaconal Studies. So we're now, instead of having, you know, this pool, uh, instead of having, you know, you teach for that program, you teach for that program, it's going to be a pool of people that teach for the graduate. Wow. This is just for the graduate degree programs. There was no faculty and, pool when I was there. I'd be in it every day. You yeah. were the pool. They did drain. They drained the pool on campus. Uh-huh. <laughs> like drain the swamp. Hey, maybe I don't know. That's again, why? Um, so, so they're adding three faculty members, and one of those faculty members is going to. Um, it's. I wouldn't even use. I can't even use the word exclusive. But they're going to teach the bulk of um, their time with the liturgical institute, and they'll probably be some type of formalized relationship in there as well. So when, hopefully uh, we can make some type of official announcement to all of that coming up, um, ho- hopefully in, er- in early July. But as you all know, we have lots of other things that we're trying to deal with, uh, you know, institutionally with distance learning and all of that. I mean, it's been it's been really difficult because, I mean, Chris, I know you've probably handled a lot of this stuff with in, in regard to liturgy, but you know, every day it seems like there's a new protocol that we have to uh, follow. And I saw this funny meme. I, I wish I had it um, at my disposal here, but it was basically like, um, this has been my life for the last month. And it's like, hey, um, every, you know, everything we planned for yesterday is now a new plan for today. And we don't know what these details are and we don't know what's going to happen. But that being said, please make a plan accordingly. <laughs> it's just like. <laughs> It's like that. It's been like that for so long, uh, for the last three months. And not to, you know, um, take anything away from the serious nature of this outbreak and the people that have been affected by it. But um, and we all know lots of people have been affected. And so um, having to have meetings that change, you know, pales in comparison to some of the medical emergencies that people have. But it has been very difficult to navigate through, especially when you're running a graduate degree program and you try to move things online. You know, we have our summer courses currently. And, you know, if some if one of the professors has a bad Internet connection, <laughs> you know, how, do, how do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. We have some of our students on the other side of the, the, the globe in Australia and Vietnam. And you know how are how are they participating in a way that is that is uh, adequate for them? So there's About all this three stuff. in the morning, probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so we you know we're we're navigating that, but it will better prepare us for moving into this realm of distance learning for liturgical education. So hopefully that helps. Um, but you know, and then of course doing this podcast has been really great. I mean, we were fortunate enough to move into kind of an online recording platform before all of this happened. And it's been really nice because, you know, before we would have to schedule a day to beat up in Madison and then we'd do like four or five, you know, podcasts on one in one day, go have a four by four at the uh, Tipsy Cow. Yes. And, you know, that's what she's doing with four patties and four slices of awesome Wisconsin cheese. Mm -hmm. And Dennis looks at the waiter and says, like, double it. I I want double it. Six, please. (laughs) Um, 
So, but, you know, we kind of moved this podcast into an online format, which has been great, too. So, uh, you know, it's it's different, but we're, we're moving along. And I think um, especially my goal has been through this outbreak, especially since people don't have as immediate access to the sacraments as they used to, is to help catechize people liturgically so that when they do go back to mass or when they can go to mass or when things start to level off a little, that they're more prepared to understand the two ends of the liturgy, the glorification of God and the sanctification of man. So hopefully, and with this podcast, we're doing that. We're getting people more um, in tune with liturgical principles. So we'll see. No one can say you're not trying. Podcasts, yeah. videos, online, class. We do it all. Yeah. <laughs> everything, everything but in person, uh, you know. And I'm, I'm actually working. So we're trying to record new courses for our certificate program. And I'm now in talks with um, with uh, people in, on the campus about how we can do this and whether or not the professor has to wear a mask. And, and I'm trying to figure out if that's okay or not, like – I would prefer to see the lips moving, you know, and be able to see what they're saying because I think that's a huge part. So, is it true you signed up Pope Benedict to do one of the classes? Yeah, but he's visiting his brother, I think, in uh, Germany. Yeah. Um, oh, well. I, I don't know. I, I signed him up. He didn't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> I penciled him in. I reserved the room. So we'll see <laughs> if he shows up or not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we'll see. But we, you know, we're we're trying to. Uh, always do do new things at the LI. I I'm I'm really proud of our certificate program, and we built it on on your backs, both of you. And you've done a lot of the bulk work to, to yep. get that off the ground. Chiropractor Bill, for sure. Yeah, um, but it's been really successful, and the feedback that we've been getting has been tremendous. And I'm really hoping to grow that a little bit and to to work out you know deals where like a diocese could license out you know our curriculum to help create like a certification program for liturgical ministers, which I, I, I mean, Chris, I don't know if you have this in the diocese uh, that you work with, but I don't know a lot of dioceses that have a certification in liturgical ministry. And so this could be a really cool thing to, to move towards that. So we'll see. Great. Good stuff. All right. We, uh, we have uh, no liturgy question this week and what? this is, uh, we, well, Chris said he didn't want to do it. Oh yeah. He's done. I always He's say done with this season. <laughs> But uh, this has been this has been a wonderful season, season four. We've done a lot of documents this season, which has been really great. Yeah, that's right. Um, post conciliar documents. Did we leave any post conciliar documents that oh, we need to tend to? Yeah, next? there's like twenty five more. Okay, so we'll do that in season five. Not really. <laughs> but as always, if you have topic ideas or you have questions, send those to questions at liturgyguys.com. And uh, you know, thank you, listeners. Hey. Listeners, whoever you are, wherever you are, Patreon supporters, people who send us boxes of pie crust, you know who you are. Thank you for that. It's great to be. You're getting boxes of pie crust? Yeah. <laughs> Vicky Delaney. Yeah, thank you so box. She sends a party in a box every so often. Yeah. Pie crust. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for our listeners, and um, I don't know when we're going to start things again. And stay tuned. We'll you know follow us on Twitter and and on socials for Liturgical Institute. If we do try and do something, an update or a short little coffee talk or something, we'll be sure to announce it. But um, but this has been a great season. Next season, season five, will start sometime um, hopefully in August or September. So, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you one other thing that I am working together with Deacon, but soon to be Father. Paul Porter, and we're making some little 
videos on. Oh yeah, Beauty. those are awesome. The first I've seen one some is rough cuts. More or less done, and the other ones are in process. Videos on what? Beauty and the Catholic oh, no. role of the Catholic artist. So uh, those will be coming out soon. So maybe we'll push those out through Liturgy Guys somehow too. Absolutely, love to do that. All right, gentlemen, have a wonderful uh, summer. And uh, thank you, as always, for all that you do. And I guess you guys are teaching for us in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. so we'll see you around then. So thank right. you, and, and God, God bless. bless. Now that's a podcast. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Adoremus, Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College.